0: Welcome to the Life in the Fasting Lane podcast with your host, Eve Mayer. Join Eve and her guests each week as they discuss how to live a healthier, longer, and more fulfilling life through fasting, keto, and low-carb feasting. Good morning. My name is Eve Mayer, and yes, I did wake up like this. Um... My hair is exceptionally huge today. What happened was I only had my daughter shampoo this past week and I washed my hair and then I realized it was volumizing shampoo, which with this hair is the last thing you need to happen. So don't worry. It's going to get washed again today and, and no one will have to see this wide hair. Megan, how's it going this morning?
1: I have a lack of hair volume uh, issues. So <laughs> like, like your hair, um, grass is always greener on the other side. You're going to experience that with people and their weight loss journey. Someone might lose a lot of inches but not a lot of pounds. And you might be losing a lot of pounds but not a lot of inches. And it's just like your hair. You can't, you can't win, but at the end of the day – you all get to where you want to be in an hour. I'll have great volume in my hair.
0: <laughs> how do you do that? What do you
1: have to do to like? How do you make it bigger? I'm lazy. I just blow my blow dry my hair upside down, oh, and I I put it in a spray that sort of
0: holds it there. Uh, so, anyways, it works. I don't know how it works. Well, welcome everybody. Well, um, not only are we going to tell you how to lose weight, we're going to tell you how to volumize your hair. <laughs> It's like a multifaceted approach. Welcome to day two of the 10-day fast. I'm Eve Mayer. I'm the person currently not eating. Megan's going to stop eating tomorrow, but I am the novice and Megan is the pro who is guiding me through this. So um, it's interesting that you were just talking about that because I collected all the questions that I saw, not all of them, but I collected the ones that I saw the most yesterday from our live post. So if you're joining us live, and you're sending us questions we do have Levi who is moderating and helping you find like links to things um, but we are not looking at your questions right now I will look at them at the end of today and we will include some of them in our day three live video um, one of the main things is very interesting because we we're just talking about it is people were talking about hair loss while fasting for me personally that's not something I've experienced now I've had three bariatric surgeries and I I also did not experience hair loss um, with the bariatric surgeries either. I I, I mean, look at me. That's just not a problem I have. Lots of other problems. That's not one of them. Um, And I really think, I don't know, I wonder if it's because I've never gotten to where I didn't have enough nutrients to, lack of nutrients to to lose hair. I'm not sure what it is. So can you, Megan, talk a little bit about why do people get hair loss uh, at times while fasting? And is that common?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So hair loss is uh, one of everybody's biggest fears because they think if they're not eating, then they're depriving themselves of nutrients and that has to have negative repercussions. But it actually doesn't. Our bodies are pretty smart, so after a couple of days of not eating, it realizes that we aren't consuming stuff, so it takes what it has, and it uses it a lot more effectively and efficiently, so we can use what we have, so that all of the nutrients, all the minerals inside of us, it uses them a lot more effectively, um, rather than using them nilly-willy because they know you're going to eat again. So hair loss is not actually associated with fasting. Hair loss is associated with um, weight loss and rapid weight loss. So people who don't experience rapid weight loss um, don't really experience uh, any issues with hair loss. Uh, People who tend to do more intermittent fasting where they're losing sort of a steady amount of weight week in and week out, their bodies anticipate that shift in, in body weight change every week. It's um, for people people who tend to do longer fasts or people who do intermittent fasting but just lose a lot of weight very quickly. Uh, any major shift in body composition where you see a sudden huge reduction in body fat is going to result in hair loss. And this is something that's observed with all kinds of diets, calorie restriction diet, Atkins diet, South Beach diet, um, ketogenic diet, all on its own, even without fasting incorporated into it so it, it's more scary for people who are fasting because I think that something something's got to be really really wrong because they're not they're not eating and now they're having negative repercussions and a lot of I, a lot of the times I actually see this with my male patients in clinic more so than my female patients us females have a longer history of doing calorie restriction diets um, We tend more often than not to be the primary cooks at home. I'm not. So I know it's not the same in every household. They didn't feed me. I sustained on bacon. Um, So so it's not the same. But typically with a lot of the patients I see, the the females are the, the main cooks at home most of the time. So they're not fasting as long. It's not as easy for them to fast as long, and because of their history of calorie restriction and all these crazy diets that we've tried in the past, their metabolic rates are pretty slow, so they're not able to lose rapid weight loss. It tends to happen more in the men who haven't really dieted in the past. You know, A few times in their lives, they've tried to drop 10 or 30 pounds, but nothing really consistent. So these guys, they'll suddenly, like within the first six to eight weeks of fasting and being mindful of their foods, will drop a lot of body fat really quickly, and then their hair thins out, and it's a lot easier to notice on a man than a woman in certain cases, and they all freak out. They're like, Megan, you're making me go bald. Oh,
0: my gosh.
1: I tell them, I said, there's a couple of things, you know, we can stop this by slowing down the weight loss, like now, if the weight loss is still very rapid, we can slow it down now, and you'll start to see the the hair loss stop, and the hair regrowth happen, Um, or if you, you can just wait it out for another couple of weeks till your body stops losing so much body fat rapidly, and you start losing, you know, one to two pounds a week on a consistent basis so most people don't want to stop they're getting this epic progress in weight loss but then eventually it does like it does settle down and plateau to one to two pounds of weight loss a week and what happens after a few weeks the hair loss stops and it starts to grow in pretty thick again and it, it again is the most evident on men so i've seen men you know thin out and get queasy about it and i i feel for them um but you know, within a couple of months, they've got this nice, thick head of hair. I have very thin hair. actually, like my hair is so, so thin, naturally. I have got fake hair uh, taped into it. Um,
0: it looks and, real, though. You told me that last time, and I was like amazed.
1: Yeah, so my hair is pretty thin, and um, uh, when I first started fasting, I lost a lot of weight the first month, and I just remember like brushing my hair after the shower, and it was like a whole rat's nest in my brush. And I just wanted to cry. I'm like, I found something that's actually working for weight loss. I can't believe yeah. it. But I'm losing my hair. And you know, just through talking, you know, with my colleagues, you know, it's not abnormal with that much weight loss. And sure enough, in month two, I started losing about two pounds a week, pretty consistently. And by the end of month two, there was no hair in my hairbrush. You know, a couple of strands, nothing. And
0: so the hair that you lost, did those spots come back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: So no, the hair tends to grow, and, grow and pretty thick again, or as, as thick as, cap- as it's capable of. Yeah. I was hoping for some like miracle here, um, and then gave up on that. But <laughs> but that's it's very common when losing a lot of body fat. So you can either wait it out and it will all be okay, or you can just slow down your fat loss. So that means going from like a 36-hour fast to a 24-hour fast, or if you're doing like three or five days of fasting pretty consistently, trying to do intermittent fasting instead, and just trying to make sure you're losing the same amount of weight roughly week in and week out. A second time where it might happen is as you get healthier, though, you're Your body needs change. I remember years ago, like with myself, if I ate 12 ounces of steak, I'd be kicked out of ketosis. So ketosis means fat burning mode. So eating that much steak, which has no carbs in it, would actually kick me out of fat burning mode. Because what would happen is that all of the protein in that steak, my body didn't need all that protein. So what it did is it took the protein that it didn't need and it converted it to sugar. So I'd eat a 12-ounce steak and I'd stop burning body fat and my blood sugar levels would go up because I didn't need the amount of protein in that steak. But now, as a much healthier individual with a lot of insulin sensitivity, not a whole lot of insulin resistance, and also I'm about a trillion times more active than I am now than I was seven years ago. So I'm weight training and all kinds of crazy stuff. So I actually need that much protein. I need more protein. So when I eat that 12 ounces of steak, I still stay in, in deep ketosis, deep fat burning load. Most of my fat burning comes from my diet now rather than body fat. I have a little bit of body fat to lose, but I, I eat I had to increase my fat intake dramatically. So what works for you today, like on day one of your journey or early on in your journey in terms of what you need to take to be healthy and to feel good is going to change many times. I, I always joke I've been like seven different versions of Megan over the last seven years. Each year my body becomes healthier and as it becomes healthier it, needs, it has different needs. And so eventually you're going to need more protein later on. And so when I work with someone, like Eve, who's a little bit further along in their journey, that they maybe have, they've they've reached their goal weight, or they're 10 pounds from their goal weight, or uh, you know they've reversed their diabetes, but they're still fasting for their liver. But they they've been doing this for a couple of years now. One of the signs that they need more protein in their diet is actually um, their hair starts to thin out. So all we we don't, like, I don't tell people to, human beings, I, even myself, I, our instincts are to go, you know, like balls to the wall with everything. Um, so if you need protein, then eat a lot of protein. And uh, that's not the case. Even just increasing your protein by 10 or 20 grams a day can actually halt the hair loss. So if you're later on in your journey and you're experiencing that, you know, try increasing your your protein by just 10 or 20 grams. It's only an ounce, you know, of of meat a day. It's not a huge amount. You don't have to go crazy. Taking too much protein then will be problematic too. So just increase it a little bit.
0: Thank you, Megan. I know that a lot of people have fear around that and I can absolutely understand it. So thank you. Everybody, you're joining us on day two of my 10-day fast. Megan is going to be coaching me through this process. Um, I started at 193 I think it was 193.4 I have pictures of it today I was at 192.2 um, I didn't kill my husband which was good this morning because he did a 24hour fast not a complete fast and he lost more weight than I did in a day so you know uh, thank goodness he's so awesome and I love him um, <laughs> but he he I think got to yeah he's like one pound uh, heavier than me right now and I'm always like god darn it. Um, and so I try to stay like a little bit under him because I, I finally got there. So that, you know, that everybody loses weight at a different rate. And I, I know that we sometimes compare ourselves, but well, at least I try not to, but I, I often do. And it's just so interesting for me online, listening to people fast, someone will fast for three days and lose, you know, seven pounds and someone will fast for three days and lose half a pound, or someone's fast for three days and lose no pounds, one of the questions people that were asking yesterday um, was, uh, they would say something like, I've been doing intermittent fasting for a while, and I'm just really not losing weight, and I didn't know how to succinctly answer why that might be. I know that happens sometimes, um, but I thought maybe you could do a better job at answering uh, why someone's consistently fasting and and not losing weight.
1: Yeah, so you got to change it up. And that's the bottom line. Our bodies do adapt, and you've got to change it up. A lot of people too think that a 16:8 or an 18:6 fast, so meaning that you're skipping breakfast and just having lunch and dinner. Um, a lot of people think that that's intermittent fasting. If, it's not. like It's intermittent fasting that might help prevent a little bit of disease in a very healthy individual with no insulin issues, no metabolic issues. You know, doing sort of 16 or 18 hours of fasting might actually generate a little bit of autophagy, which is a deep cellular recycling process people like to experience for anti-aging and disease prevention so in a ketogenic individual so someone who eats very low carb you know they might get some benefits a little bit of benefits doing a 168 and they'll be able to maintain their weight and uh, not have to worry about developing insulin resist- resistance or insulin related issues doing a 168 but that's not a therapeutic treatment it's it's not and you have to think of fasting as a therapeutic treatment for weight loss so a 168 fast or an 186 um, and that's just for maintenance. That's what we ask our patients to do on eating days. Like, forget fast, that's not a fast. Um, it's, an eating, it's an eating day, it's a proper eating day that's gonna lead towards good health and good habits in the long term. So it's great, but it's an eating day. And I see a lot of people on the Facebook groups uh, talking about doing that, and it's just not very helpful. Um, a 24-hour fast rarely works for women who have struggled with weight loss for most of their lives, um, or struggled with weight gain, rather, um, a 24-hour fast rarely, really works. The only case that it works well in women is initially at the start, because you will drop a lot of body weight or body water weight. It is a big shock to your system, but eventually our metabolic rates are so slow as a result of all this calorie restriction dieting that we've done in the past that we bottom out doing a 24-hour fast very early on and it doesn't become a very effective in the long term for losing weight. So a 24 hour fast is it is great for people who don't have a history of dieting, so when a patient of mine will come into clinic, or I'll meet them like this um, in a Zoom call, and they will say, "But we saw so and so on Facebook," and I've actually reached out to these people, and I we talked, I'll talk to this woman, and I'll say, "You know, what diets have you tried in the past?" And the woman would always respond, well, I've never really dieted that much in the past. Now that my weight gain is causing me illness, I decided I should probably lose the weight. So this woman who got all these great results doing a 24-hour fast, well, they never had a history of dieting. They don't have a damaged metabolic rate. So yeah. a, lot of, a lot of ladies do. I mean, I was taught in like middle school how to count calories by like aunts and grandmothers um, to be mindful of my weight. So... So a lot of us have a a history of keeping tabs on those calories. So I'd really encourage people to try to do more intermittent fasting, but like 36 and 42 hours of intermittent fasting. So that essentially means a 36-hour fast means you're fasting like Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, but Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday, you're eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, if you don't feel like eating breakfast or you don't feel like eating dinner, people who eat earlier on in the day tend to not want to eat later on in the day. So either or, um, that that means that you're, you're doing a 42-hour fast if you're just taking two meals on your eating days. So Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday, you'd have lunch and dinner or breakfast and lunch instead and that would be a 42-hour fast. And that's very effective for women and men who have a lot of insulin resistance. Even men who don't have a lot history of dieting um, and who don't have the extra hormones like estrogen that, that women have to combat when we're losing weight, um, even then they they struggle. if They have a lot of insulin resistance, and they have to do more fasting. So the 36, 42-hour fast three times a week tends to get really great, of results so i would say shake it up change it up um and if you're doing 24s or 16s and you talk to your doctor and your doctor says it's perfectly okay to do a little bit more fasting then i would try to push the envelope a little bit more and do more 36 and 42s a lot of the time I people that it's not sustainable and it's not always sustainable I know I thought myself if I couldn't do three 42 hour fasts a week then I was a failure because Fridays were always problematic for me and then I thought to myself well why I'm, I'm the only one that's you know, deciding whether or not this is a, a success or a failure. Why do I really need to fast for forty-two hours on Fridays if I'm fasting every Monday and every Wednesday religiously for forty-two hours? I can just do a twenty-four hour fast on Friday and I'll lose less weight. But you know, it, it all adds up. So um, my main regimen was two forty-two hour fast plus one twenty-four. If I didn't have plans on the Friday, then I would only I would do a forty-two hour fast if I was going home. But you really have control with it, and the more you change it up, the better, and the more you mix it up, the better too. So that, those are my two cents on um, breaking through a plateau.
0: I love it. Thank you so much, Megan, for that. We had another question. Um, with someone who is, is trying to learn how to fast and is doing 16 hours, and every time she gets to 16 hours, she gets nauseated and she can't figure out what to do. So, yesterday you were saying, Look, if you ever get nauseated, that's, that's when you, you end a fast, but she can't get past it. it, it or is there anything she should try? Or I asked her, She's having um, coffee and water. Those are the things she's having. I
1: would cut back on the caffeine. Caffeine is done. Okay. Um, so most people don't go too crazy with it. Um, so it doesn't become problematic. But if you're really struggling with if you're getting nauseous, you're having electrolyte issues, that's the bottom line. Um, I mean it can be for other health reasons. So I would definitely encourage this lady to go to her doctor and make sure that everything's okay. Um especially if there's a possibility of type 1 diabetes or late onset type 1 diabetes. It's not that you can never fast if you have those conditions. You just need to be aware of it because there's certain things to put in place. Um, But most of the time in people who aren't type 1 or late onset type 1 diabetics, it's about electrolytes. So I would always go get your electrolytes checked out. It's, it's always good to know. Um, I, have, like, I have too low sodium and too high potassium because of it, adrenal fatigue issues, and it has gotten better with time, but it's good to know because if I were to overdo it with potassium on my fasting days, I'd feel really sick um, because my potassium levels are on the higher side, and it's actually the sodium that makes me feel better when I'm fasting. So it's always good to know what you have, and we're all so different. Electrolytes are so unique to the individual, you know, and you can't think of it as genetic. My mother has like dangerously low potassium, whereas I have quite high potassium. Um, so these are not these are very individual things that you know have no hereditary impact, and all of our bodies are unique. Um, So one of the the main things, though, if you are feeling symptomatic of dehydration is cut out the coffee, cut out the tea, even actually my New Year's resolution. um, I'm not a big fan of New Year's resolutions, but I do think if you have these little ones, it's important to be mindful of. Um, So I sustain on tea and I actually get dehydrated because of the caffeine in tea. And you might think there's not a whole lot of caffeine in green tea, but, you know, eight cups into it, there's a lot of caffeine. Yeah, I'm crazy. Um, so I, I, I have long days. Um, but i a lot of caffeine. I get pretty dehydrated. My lips are always cracked, like even in August. My skin's always so dry. The lady that does my nails, um, she always is like, well, your skin, let me do something to your face to make it more hydrated. Um, so my New Year's resolution is to drink two cups of water for every cup of tea that I have just to stay, stay hydrated. And when I um, when I fast, I always have to have that rule. If I'm drinking tea when I'm fasting, or else I'll get too dehydrated. So I would scale back on the caffeine and okay. or have two cups of water for every cup of tea or coffee you do have during the fast. Um And then see what your electrolytes are. You probably need to supplement with some sodium. Sodium is the magical gatekeeper of all of the electrolytes. If you keep your sodium levels happy, your potassium levels and your magnesium levels will stay happy. Um, supplementing with potassium or magnesium is not going to keep your sodium levels happy. Not at all. And when your sodium levels get too low, your body holds on to what's left and it says, okay, you know, Megan needs to go pee or even needs to go pee, but her sodium's so low, we better sacrifice potassium and magnesium in its place to hold on to this little bit of sodium. So if you let your sodium go too low, then you put your magnesium and potassium at risk for going too low. But if you keep your sodium levels happy, your magnesium and potassium levels stay happy. So there's, I know there's different Facebook groups out there that use our name and have these electrolyte guides that you should be taking when you're fasting. And it's, it's, it's frustrating. We have all these conversations with them saying, hey, we don't agree with that. We've never supplemented with potassium, um, except for patients who have critically low potassium levels, like life threatening low potassium levels, if we're going to fast them, we just supplement with salt. So if you If you don't have congestive heart failure issues, if you don't have uh, kidney failure issues, then adding a pinch, like a quarter of a teaspoon of salt to your water in the
0: morning can make a big difference in how you feel throughout the day. When you talk about salt, one of the guidance, I've heard a lot of different guidance on salt and everybody's different, but one just general one I've heard is about a teaspoon and a half of salt per day. Is that correct? Is that a general standard to look at? That's a great baseline. One
1: and a half teaspoons is a, is a great baseline. And for some people that works really well. Um, but then there's individuals that just need more. I usually encourage my my patients, my clients, to start with one teaspoon a day and break it up into one quarter chunks. If you take it all at once, you could have an emergency bathroom issue uh, (laughs) because it can stimulate your colon to get moving and grooving, and that's not always wanted. Um, And if it's a big shock to your system, if you're someone who doesn't take a lot of salt on a regular basis. Uh, you could feel a little queasy, pretty sleepy, um, and not great. So just taking a quarter of a teaspoon. And if you find that you need more, then keep adding a quarter another quarter of a teaspoon. Um, so a teaspoon and a half is, is a great place to start or one teaspoon and then just increase it by a quarter of a teaspoon. You know, if you're, if you start to feel kind of queasy at three, then at three add another quarter of a teaspoon, if you're feeling kind of foggy, still at four, then add another quarter of a teaspoon and find your own sweet spot. My sweet spot is actually three teaspoons, but I have, I have very low sodium and I have yeah. a hard time keeping my sodium levels up so we're all so unique i wish there was like one magic pill that would work perfectly and give us all the same amount of sodium that we need but we're all such unique people you have to you really have to figure out what works for you because like what works for eve is not going to work for me and it's not going to work for her husband or my husband we're all so so unique
0: Thank you, Megan. Um, And so, guys, if if you're just tuning in, we are talking about day two of my 10-day fast, and Megan is leading me. i got to be honest, I'm a pretty um, practiced intermittent faster, so so far I feel fine. Um, I got a little hungry last night, 24 hours in, and was grumpy for like 30 to 45 minutes, and then I was fine. So as we get further into this week, Megan's going to be doing more coaching. I usually uh, start to lose my mind around day three. So you'll get to see me all at my best around there. Um, but until then, I really have just been collecting the questions that most of you guys have been sending and asking them. So the last thing I want to cover today, well, well two things. First of all, Megan, when we talk about there's a lot of different Facebook groups, and a lot of people are watching this on the official Facebook group, but we're also going to have it in many other places. So can you just um, give us the name of the official Facebook group that you guys run? Yes,
1: it's called the obesity code network. Fasting Support with Megan Ramos and Dr. Jason Fung.
0: So if anybody needs a link, reach out to Megan and I. Also, you can check out Megan's program that she runs at idmprogram.com. You can check out my site at fastinglane.com. And the last thing we're going to talk about today is blood tests. So as you can see, I'm drinking water. I'm not drinking coffee. I'm really angry about it um, because I'm going to get my blood test this morning. Uh, the the blood test I want to have I want to do it yesterday but it was you know the first day of the year so they were closed and so I'm going to do my blood test today for before my fast and then I'm going to do one after my fast. Um, you can actually go to idmprogram.com and there are blood tests there that they suggest you get that you talk to your doctor about about getting and um i'm getting the ones that you suggested uh i get which i don't remember what they are right now but can you talk a little bit about um when should a person look at getting a blood test like if you're just doing intermittent fasting maybe that doesn't make sense and and what should they consider
1: yeah so um it's always great while you're doing a long fast i think for us it- Individually experiment and see how our body changes during a long fast. Um, you you get weird results. Like some diabetics might actually expect um, their blood sugar levels to go low, but they actually go quite high because as you burn body fat, you release stored sugar um so we can sometimes see a person's blood sugar levels go up when they're fasting and of course you're going to see triglycerides go up when you're fasting because your body's releasing fat into your blood to fuel off of um so you get these kind of funky funky results um when you're fasting um so the d- When I have a patient who's doing like a seven-day fast or a 10-day fast, we definitely check their blood work in between, especially for minerals and electrolytes, just to make sure they're staying nice and hydrated. And we'll check for inflammatory markers too, like high sensitivity C-reactive protein, um, and check to make sure that that goes down. Um, For more of a... for. More regular blood work. We actually ask our patients to not fast for more than 12 or 13 hours, and we ask them to actually not, uh, not fast uh, for three to five days leading up to the blood test because you need to stabilize your body weight. It's okay. I'll take my blood work at any point in time because I know if I'm you know, 37 hours into a fast, I know to anticipate that my blood sugar levels might be a little bit higher than normal, because I'm fasting and I'm burning body fat. So you'll see these changes, but it's great because you'll also get to see the impact on your hemoglobin A1C, so your 120-day average of your blood sugars. You'll be able to sort of see the the impact on your inflammation and your electrolytes. So it's perfectly okay to take your blood work at any point in time, but it's important to know that fasting might affect it, Um, especially the lipid panel. Fasting has a huge impact on your cholesterol levels. And the reason why is you know LDL and HDL are transportation vehicles. So as things are being broken down or built in our body, um, HDL and LDL are very active driving parts to places in our body that need parts and are picking up the, the leftovers of a construction site in your body and taking it back to the liver. So HDL and LDL are just little vehicles that leave from the liver and they either take stuff to your spleen where your spleen needs some help and then they pick up what's left over of those construction bits from your spleen and they take it back to the liver. So they're very busy driving back and forth. So when you're burning body fat, you've got lots of things breaking down. So you especially have a lot of LDL because LDL is a vehicle that takes the stuff back to the liver. So when you've got a lot of body fat breaking down, then LDL is going, whoosh, like it's just zooming out of the liver to pick up these parts. Um, And if you're fueling on body fat, your triglyceride levels are gonna be up a little bit. So for people who are doing a lipid panel though, we ask them to try to stop all weight loss um, for three days before their blood tests. Dave Feldman actually goes into a lot of detail about this on cholesterolcode.com. Dave Feldman's an engineer, um, but he's probably more knowledgeable than all of the lipidologists on the planet. Uh, (laughs) So so he's done a lot of mass experimenting with people fasting at different stages in their cholesterol levels. So he's got some really cool data data to share. I think with with Eve, we're really checking minerals, electrolytes, and inflammatory markers on the blood work that she's doing right now. is great because you know even though she's a little bit more she's in day two of her fast we should see some pretty good baseline numbers from those and then we'll be able to see how they're affected afterwards so it's just really something for the lipid panel for those cholesterol markers to be mindful of that you don't want to actually be in a state of burning body fat for about three days before you do that test.
0: Okay, perfect. Well, I'm going to go get it today. I'm going to share my results with you guys in, in one of these calls. We're going to wrap up the, this call. I just wanted to let you know a couple things. Um, sign up at idmprogram.com. A lot of people have been asking about preparing for a fast and using a fat fast. Megan has an excellent blog on there about that that I've been reposting, so check that out. I'm down one pound. Um, Megan, go have a fabulous anniversary and thank you so much for helping us today.
1: Thank you, we'll talk soon, happy fasting.